This is the thing that I say to all parents, whether it's a mum of a newborn or, you know, the parents of a teenager that's going through how. You matter. Your experiences matter. Your happiness matters. Your memories matter. Don't sacrifice your entire being to trying to deal with this very, very difficult situation. Get some help. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if your kid is like plastered to a screen 24-7 for a week, if you need that break, you have to do it. Like, just do whatever you can because you matter. You really do. Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. On today's show, we'll be discussing why neurodivergent sleep matters and how to support it. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. And before we introduce you to our guest today, I'd like to share our community's code. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truths, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment, one day at a time. Esther and Jerry Hicks call it the science of deliberation, and we call it the answer to all of our prayers. So on today's show, I'd like to introduce you to Suzanne Gunn, who is the mom of two boys, ages six to nine, one of which has pathological demand avoidance, which we'll get into a little bit more, a little known subtype of autism. She works as a family sleep specialist and works with babies right through the ad- right to adolescence. Her work with families, whether neurodivergent or neurotypical, aims to bring families together to heal through nurture and uh, she's found her life's calling and work. Welcome to the show, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Chad. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure being here. Yeah, we're excited to hear your story. Can you, you. Uh, tell us where you're calling in from? Yeah, so I'm here on sunny Vancouver Island in uh, British Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful. And you started this journey nine years ago? Yeah. Can you tell us, can you bring us back to having a baby and when something didn't look the way you thought it was supposed to and bring us into there? Yeah. Okay. So basically when I was at the point of being pregnant, basically I had just moved to the center of London in the UK and none of my peers had babies. Even my long-term friends from back home, they weren't at the point of having babies yet and they still haven't, you know. And I was the first of my generation in the family to have a baby. So my experience was pretty limited. The first baby that my husband had ever held was ours. Like that's how fresh it was to us, right? (laughs) So we didn't really know what real human babies were like. We never even had a puppy. I could barely look after a a plant, but uh, (laughs) there we are. I was like, yeah, sure. They just like sleep and eat, right? So... We had a beautiful baby boy and great birth, everything. And he came out and he was just alert. He didn't even cry. He was just looking around and he was just super chill, super calm, looking around, taking everything in. And we got him home 
And I remember we went to go to bed at like 10 p.m. And that's when he started screaming. And he didn't stop screaming until 3 a.m. I had no idea what was going on. So I won't go through a step-by-step in this because it's a long journey, but basically he was a baby that woke up every 45 minutes for months on end. And being the naive new parent that I was, I really thought that the problem wasn't him. It wasn't that he had a problem, not that he is a problem, he's not obviously, but the problem was me that I didn't know what I was doing. And not only that, but I had this expectation on myself that I was supposed to look after this baby who apparently was just supposed to sleep all the time anyway, take on everything in the house, everything, all the groceries, all the housework, just everything. And I was feeling like I was just failing miserably. So my mental health just really, really took a downturn very, very quickly. And I'd actually always dealt with um, depression kind of on and off, but it was always there. Um, So when I had the baby and with a lack of sleep, it just, you know, clearly it's going to go like downwards. And I remember just, you know, just as a snapshot of where my mental health was at, I remember just like holding him for hours, just like trying to get him to sleep. And I would just like look out the window and look at the train lines. And I would just be like, if something happens to this baby, I'd already had it planned. I was like, okay, so I'm just going to walk down there and I'm just going to walk in front of a train. And like, I remember taking him out in the stroller one day and I went to cross the road. And in the UK, we don't have these crosswalks everywhere. You can, it's not illegal. You just like cross the road wherever it's safe to do so. And I remember looking the one way and then looking the other way. And when I looked that way, I realized I couldn't remember what that way was. So I was just stood there for I mean, I have honestly no idea how long, but it just wasn't going in my brain. It just wasn't processing, you know, whether there were any cars coming. And I thought, okay, I don't know where I was at, whether it was shame or embarrassment or just everything. I thought, I'm just going to walk out. And if we die, we die. And that was just where I was for the first good, good long time. So still, I didn't recognize that there was anything different about my child. He was just kind of, he was always like my best buddy, like from toddlerhood onwards, as soon as he had that like back and forth, which he didn't have for a long time. We didn't see smiles for a very, very long time and things. But again, I thought that was me. That wasn't my child. You know, at toddlerhood, um, my, you know, some family members were, were kind of sharing that they were a little concerned with how attached he was to me like he wouldn't be left in another room he was there constantly with me even when he was like two and onwards if I was at home with my mom I when I went to the bathroom he'd have to come with me like he was extremely attached still didn't see anything wrong then I had my second baby and just forgive the analogy but it went tits up it was just like crazy, crazy. I didn't realize that obviously he had autism. So the change in everything was just so intense for him. And it wasn't like he was crying and seeming really sad. He was pretty aggressive and he was getting like quite violent and things. Still, I didn't see anything wrong. Um, In preschool, they realized there's something not quite right here but he you know usually had really great eye contact he was more or less on the right kind of developmental path um for time time frame moment um and it wasn't until he went to school that they realized there's something up and in at that point we were planning to move to canada so we had this assessment done and within a few weeks after that we moved to Canada and it was the worst time of my life. What age is your child at this point? He's just turned 10. It was a long time. I was I was probably in denial for a long time. He was five and nearly six when he had his diagnosis. But even then I was like, he's just quirky. So if he's just quirky, then there, did that mean that you didn't have to be concerned for this this diagnosis or what it all means? When did that kick in for you? So when we moved to Canada... 
just before we moved to Canada, actually, in school, at some point he went mute. Luckily, he was really early at reading and writing. So he went mute in school and his teacher, you know, took him to the side and he was writing down. She was asking him what's up and he was writing it down. So he was four or five and he was writing about how his brain is broken, how there's ghosts doing deals in his head. He wanted to die and it was really, really intense. The hardest bit was that the teacher was like, I just want to tell you this is what's happening because I would want to know if that was my child. And I was like, where can I go for help with this? And it was like, well, there is no help with this. You just got to figure this out. And I was just like kind of going and knocking on all the doors, like going to the people who we'd had the assessment with, various organizations and being like, how can I support my child? I have no idea what to do with this. And, and it was just like, well, there's nothing. Then we moved to Canada. That was insane. But we went to a school, just happened to be the local school. And I opened up and said, this transition is really, really difficult. I said what was happening. And I was like, so I don't know how you can support him, but I really hope that you can. And luckily for me, they said, well, this is the inclusion teacher. Here is our school social worker. Here is our school counselor. And then they were like, let's get you set up with, you know, all these various supports. And to be honest, not all of that came through, but it was a downside more than what we'd had before. So I felt better supported. However, um, we had extreme mental health issues at home and we were all in this very traumatized stress response. We had to kind of hide all the knives around the house because he would just randomly, just seemingly randomly. Now I know that there was always a trigger to it. But I mean, we would sometimes wake up because he would come in at 6 a.m. and punch us in the face. There was one time I took him to the doctors and I was trying to get him to come out of the car and he had shoes on and he went through this like major meltdown. My husband had tried to come in and help. And so he, like my son had shoes on and he kicked my husband in the face, like right in his nose. And it was just this like really aggressive. And I had a toddler at the time. And so it, and sometimes my, my youngest son was like the target. And so it was really hard trying to keep them both safe. There was always a time when I had to lock one of them away. And that goes against all of my instincts. You don't push a child who's hurting away. It was just about like, how do I keep them safe? Because it wasn't, I couldn't even support them at that point. It was just about keeping them alive. That was the hardest bit. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about pathological demand avoidance? Mm -hmm. I haven't and how you got there and and what Mm. that, how that plays out? My son is autistic, but he doesn't really appear to be the typical, you know, autistic child. He does really good eye contact. He's pretty good socially, at least on the surface level. Luckily for us, he was in a state of heightened stress when he had his assessment, because otherwise I truly believe that they wouldn't have given him a diagnosis. Pathological demand avoidance is, I guess you could call it a nervous system activation disability. So I know that there's been, you know, brain research on on autistic individuals, and it shows that some autistic individuals have smaller than average amygdalas, and some have larger than average amygdalas. I would theorize that it's the the kids with pathological demand avoidance that have the enlarged amygdala. So the amygdala is the place where this fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response comes from. So it's the safety kind of like threat detection system in the brain. And with kids with a pathological demand avoidance, so anything that is seen as a demand, and this is putting it extremely simplistically, it's seen as a threat. So on a heightened stress response. So you think like all of the sensory processing and all that type of thing that, you know, autistic people tend to deal with anyway, like struggle with, that's just basing the foundation of where the stress is. And then you have something that could be perceived as a threat. So it could be in being 
asked to do something like, hey, Tom, can you just put your plate in the kitchen? It could provoke an extreme stress response where he, like his brain is telling him it's not safe stay alive. So he might, you know, on a, on a bad day. And if I want to go away from my, my son's individual, um, circumstances, cause I've, I've spoken to a lot of parents with pathological demand avoidant children. It might be the case that their child might just get the plate, smash it at the wall and then come and try and attack you. These are children who on the surface level, they look violent. They look aggressive. They look like manipulative children because they'll go do anything to get out of doing what is expected of them. And it's a lot of it is there's an expectation of what is supposed to happen, but they have a lot of lagging skills. So they can't get to that end point expectation. And then this anxiety along it makes it into this fight response or flight or fawn. So they could even be just jokesters, like, you know, they're they're the clowns, so the class clowns who won't do the work and they just like joking around. But really it's a stress response. It's little known. It's better known in the UK, actually, which is, you know, funny that I'm from the UK, but we just moved from the UK when we realized. And it's slowly coming in. So unfortunately, there's very, very little support around pathological demand avoidance because there's very little understanding of it. A lot of people think it's oppositional defiant disorder, and it's not. And it needs a very, very different type of support than the typical autism because typical autism, it's all about routine structure. We do this at this time, this at this time. There's a lot of expectations in with that. And that's just the opposite of what a lot of pathological demand avoidant kids need. Thank you for sharing a bit on that. When you start to, you get a diagnosis and you start kind of seeing what your life is, do you and your husband handle it in a similar way? Do you handle it in a different way? How does, and how does your depression play into this, this new kaboom that happens in your life? Thank you, Chad. It answered a lot of questions for me. So to give you a very personal story, which, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to give because in case it kind of resonates with somebody and it helps somebody else. So I've always struggled with depression and it's it's not always, just from my teen years onwards, really. And it's because I had a brother who was also very, very violent and abusive. And I was the target of most of that. So he was um, three, is three and a half years older than me. You know, when it's an 18 year old man who's kicking the shit out of a 14 year old girl, you know, it's like, it was, and, and I'd had, you know, my, my entire life, like he, we used to fight as sibling, fight as children, but it just never stopped. It just escalated, right? So I'd always, always struggled with that. I was getting very highly triggered by my son's violent outbursts, as you can imagine. And then I realized, actually, I saw a lot of... So when we were having the autism diagnosis with my son, the assessment, most of the questions, we it was things like, we were answering things like, yeah, but he gets that from me. Yeah, but he gets that from me. And it was the typical thing of like when parents go for their child's autism diagnosis and they realize, oh, actually... We're a family of neurodivergence, right? So I realized then, and I don't want to assume too much, especially on the internet where everybody gets to hear this. I'm going to assume that my brother had a lot of issues that nobody realized. And if I was to take a guess, I would say that he probably also had pathological demand avoidance. The way that my parents were told to respond to him as he was a child acting out like this was to give him a slap and send him to bed. So basically hit your child and then send them away. And so it was this realization that my brother wasn't this like evil person. He was actually a child with some intense challenges, needs, Nothing was met, nothing was recognized. And essentially, 
the type of care that my parents were being pushed into. I want to say it, but I mean, like my, my parents are absolutely wonderful people. They're incredibly bright. They're incredibly intelligent. They're incredibly empathetic. I had a fantastic upbringing with them. You know, it transpires to child abuse, what they were being pushed into doing with my brother. And it was this moment of realizing that that was it. And it made me see this person who was my, essentially my abuser. I saw him as a young child with a lot of needs, a lot of unfulfilled needs. And it really helped in giving me closure through this. And it wasn't quite closure at this point, because to start off with, I was like, oh my God, I am stuck in this cycle. And I am going to be it felt like I'm going to be abused by my son the same way I was uh, as I was abused by my brother, you know. And um, we were looking at like, okay, so do we need to do like some self-defense courses to be able to, you know, protect ourselves and be able to keep him safe and keep, you know, our youngest son safe and all that kind of thing. And then I realized that actually it's not always going to be this way. He needs support in a different way. And it's this whole healing through nurture in by nurturing my son as both actually my brother needed to be nurtured, but also in how I needed to be nurtured. So it wasn't that, cause my parents had like, they were in this era of the behavioral management parenting techniques that really just don't work. Like it doesn't address anything. It just perform, like it doesn't help anybody, right? In supporting my son as I needed to be supported. So when I was hurting, when I was struggling, instead of having my feelings dismissed in like by listening to him, like showing him I'm not afraid of his emotions, you can have all that with me and I still love you so much. It doesn't matter. You know, you I love my son, obviously, like we all love our children, right? But it doesn't matter what he says, what he does. I will see him for who he truly is. And his behavior, it doesn't reflect who he is deep down. It just reflects what he's going through. Behavior is communication. And so it was that point of like this whole like healing through nurture. I totally healed all of my scars through nurturing my son. And it's this, I also feel like this generational trauma, because I mean, it didn't start with my brother for sure. I feel like it's stopping here with my family. I want to say it stops with me, but it doesn't because it's my son that's doing a lot of the work too. First of all, I want to thank you for sharing that part. It's, um, it helps give perspective in whatever way we can sort of imagine because we can't imagine unless we were in your shoes it sounds like it was a real growth opportunity for you to learn Mm. how to heal through this nurturing does that mean that you didn't have to go through the diagnosis and trauma that's created from that and all how all the dreams of what the family is going to look like disappear did you avoid that phase of it or did you have the (laughs) no Okay. Right. We certainly went through a grieving period for sure. And this kind of turnaround of things has taken years. So really maybe we've, I mean, anxiety is always going to be a big part of him because it's a disability. You don't fix it. It's not an illness that needs curing. It's who he is, right? This anxiety piece. He's always going to have this highly responsive you know, brain that goes to the stress response. So, I mean, yes, we did not anticipate this to be our lives. For sure, we went through a grieving period. It's going back to that poem of like, you know, I can't, I can't remember. It's you buy a a plane ticket for somewhere, say it's France and you end up in Holland and that's it. We just kind of have extreme gratitude for what we have because we know how bad it could be. But instead, actually, like we we do deal with a lot of stress in the house, like the normal day to days isn't like a neurotypical household for sure. But we also have a very, very loving family. My son, you know, like a lot of, you know, kids on the spectrum, they are having to deal with this emotional regulation piece 
a lot more than the neurotypical child does. So a lot of the things that he is now capable of, a lot of adults aren't, right? <laughs> this whole like, you know, I'm feeling this way, even in being able to label that emotion, some adults can't do it. They're like, you know, angry and stubborn enough because they need a sandwich, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, we did go through a grieving period. But if I'm honest, I can't, I don't focus on that too much. I don't, I don't really remember it that much anymore. I had some like pivotal moments and then move on. And it's this whole like period of growing, always, you know, looking forward. It's just like being grateful for the experience in life. Like I, I never would have, if I didn't have my son, I would still be this very depressed individual who was never really whole. Um, and I think that, you know, this experience my sons, the two of them, uh, you know, complete me. Thank you for sharing that. That was inspiring. Having dealt with depression myself. So from my experience to get from depressed to this kind of light. It takes a lot of work, right? Yeah. So you, so you, you, you've done a lot of evolving to get from staring out the window to yeah. the things that you just said, to the gratitude, to the yeah. how it's almost a blessing, all the things that we've gone through because the growth opportunity has been so big. Mm-hmm. And that was the reason for that the show was created. The show was really created to help me through mm-hmm. my stuff. And then I learned that really the only thing that had to change was me not fixing mm-hmm. my kids so that my life could be the way it is. So yeah. a lot of people come on this show and they deal with depression Mm-hmm. but they're in the, I'm trying to, as soon as I can get my kid to talk or as soon as I can fix this, or if I can get the right number of services, then mm-hmm. life is going to finally be the way it's supposed to. And, you know, all I can do is listen. sounds like you've moved. You're in that different place where, mm-hmm. um, how do you take care of you? How do you care for yourself so that you're able to have this kind of perspective? Thank you. My mind's going in off in a whole bunch of tangents now, right? So first off, thank you so much for sharing that. And I love the way that you have this podcast. So you, like me, have taken your experiences and you're like, okay, I'm going to heal through this and I'm going to help other people heal through this. And I absolutely love that so much. So thank you for this, Chad. Thank you. So um, I would be doing a disservice to everybody (laughs) with depression if I said it that it just went away. No, it didn't. And I still struggle with depression. And I'm going to say it's not public knowledge, but now it is. And I'm okay with that. So I take SSRIs to help with that. And I think that, you know, my brain, I don't know whether I'll ever be off the SSRIs and the antidepressants or not. They weren't the turning point for me. They are a support which help the my serotonin be at a decent level. It's in general kind of making sure that that I look after myself and I see the signs. So I did do a lot of mindfulness work. And to be honest, I'm not hot on this kind of like self-care thing. But in having that experience of mindfulness, I notice when my mind goes in certain places. And it's that noticing and going, oh, right, this is coming back and I need to look after myself. So before the podcast, you asked me for my favorite quote and I didn't have one. I was like, I don't really have one, but I do have a favorite metaphor. And this is a perfect place to say it. And that is the one about the metaphorical cup and you cannot pour for an empty cup. And this is it. So... I'm always talking about this cup. My cup needs filling. Thank you so much for filling my cup. Like, like, these are all things. And it's all about making sure that I look after myself somewhat so that I can look after others. And sometimes as parents, you know, we are typically martyrs. We put our children first to our detriment. But, and I mean, this goes back to the postpartum work that I used to do because I used to be a postpartum doula, in that when the main caregiver is has a full cup, the whole family benefits. 
when the main caregiver has an empty cup, nobody does. And the whole family feels that effect. And really for me, it's an understanding that I have value, I am important, my health matters to my children. Sometimes I need to put that responsibility to be like, it isn't all about me. Um, I've got to do this for my kids because I don't want my kids to have a depressed mother. They do, but you know, there's only so much from it. And I would like to turn that around to, I have children who are going to see all the work that I do and they're going to have that role model instead. So yeah. And it was, a lot of it was about learning who I am really. Part of it was the diagnosis, my son's diagnosis and realizing actually I'm neurodivergent too. Then realizing, oh, I have these triggers no, it's not normal that like I'm extremely stressed in a supermarket or like I hate food shopping because that environment is just not one that makes me feel good. I come from it. I spend too long there. I forget what I need to be getting. I'm just not right after it. So I know through looking after my son, the kind of care that and support that he needs, if he goes through that kind of experience of of like going somewhere that has all these stresses, he needs some downtime after. So I know I need some downtime after. And it's about kind of like changing expectations, getting rid of like societal expectations. I don't care what like the neighbors are doing with their kids. That's what they're doing with their kids. Like celebrate and rejoice what they're doing. Diversity is amazing. If we don't like leave our house with the kids, it's not like as though I'm, you know, like I know that a lot of people have said, oh, you know, you need to be able to get them out of, get them out every day, go to the playground, do this, do the other, you know, they need lots of friends and all this. No, actually, what we need is a calm and safe frame of mind. And if that means that we're hanging out in the house and in the yard all day, chilling out, who cares because we're happy and we're healthy? Done. That's a lot of what what I can attribute my state of mind to. How'd you learn that? How'd you get on that track? How'd you start understanding it and then internalizing it? Wow. (laughs) Now I'm like, let's tie into my profession because my profession is actually extremely satisfying and it's, it really is my passion. So, um, I'm a, Certified family sleep specialist. So that is a non-medical sleep professional that helps with getting the whole family the sleep and the rest that they need. With neurodivergent kids, I mean, it's not always easy, right? And a lot of it was about learning myself and learning about how my body and brain works and having this real like technical understanding of things they kind of take it away from like fault and blame and those kind of things. So it's not that like I am a bad person, that I am failing because I'm rubbish at life. It's that my brain is working in a slightly different way and being able to be quite pragmatic about that. Like, oh, I'm feeling this way. I'm finding it really hard to focus right now. What are the things that my brain needs for me to be able to focus? Because that was a big thing for me before. Like it was the lack of focus, being constantly distractible that I was feeling that it was like a real, real mental health downer for me. I felt like I was failing. Why can I not be like a a proper, fully functioning human being? There's something inherently wrong with me. No, there's something inherently different about me. I think there's lots of things. I mean, I've tried a whole bunch of things, Chad, from talking therapies, which actually like counseling for me, all it did was just, it gave me the tools to be able to numb out while I spoke about things through body work. So like uh, running, yoga, you know, working out, all that kind of stuff to the most recent one that has been the biggest, biggest shift was somatic healing work. I, and I've been following like Gabo Mate and, and all those. 
not that Gabriel Mate does somatic work, but I know he works alongside it. And it's this whole thing of a feeling of being mindful of where emotions lie within the body, being able to observe where they are. And that goes alongside being pragmatic about it. Oh, I've got this feeling in my gut. Is this anxiety? Is this what anxiety is feeling like for me right now? And I can, I'd like, it's right, you know, under my rib cage. And it's this feeling. It was an amazing experience. I've also tried hypnosis. Like I've tried a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it really it. isn't just being like curious about it. Like, and I think naturally I'm, I'm like a, a very like curious person. I want to know like how things work and not necessarily want to fix things, but just want to observe it and see what it's like. And that to me has been it because it's taken away this like guilt this pressure, this like worry about the future constantly. It's about being grounded in the now. This is what I'm experiencing right now. I'm having a really hard time right now. This isn't easy right now. Or it's, wow, this just happened. That's just happened right now. And just being able to be there. The hardest thing for me when I was extremely depressed and anxious was I could never be in the now. I remember the first time actually after taking antidepressants, this was, um, that I looked at my youngest and he did something really cute. And I, and I thought, oh my God, that's so cute. And it was the first time I'd ever looked at anybody for years thinking that's really cute because I was always looking at my kids thinking, what do they need? What's coming up? Is there going to be a massive explosion coming? You know, what's kind of triggering them at the moment? My mind would be going off on all these tangents when I was looking at this beautiful being just like playing. And I was always trying to be like five steps ahead so that I could cope. And it's really about trying to be within the now. And um, that's what I really try to do with my clients is to really help them. I mean, it, it is sleep work, but you need like the time of the day when sleep is, it's when we're all depleted after a long day, after a long week, after a long month, long years, forever. It's been hard and we just don't have this energy. You get to the end of the day, your child is just like wired, bouncing off the walls. You have no idea. You're being that shouty parent that you don't want to be. It's that like, it's the quick wins first. How do we get to you to a point when you've got like that, just like a tiny little bit in your cup that there's something, there's like some capacity. How do we get you to this point so that then we can work on the next point and we just do like baby steps through it. Okay. Until you feel better rested, you can breathe, you can see things in the now and you can just feel the the joy of having your beautiful family and then you connect with your kids so instead of always like seeing them as something with all these needs that you need to be 10 steps ahead of and to be well well prepared it's about seeing this person here in front of you and connecting with them where they are at that moment and then that is the point where all of everything just gets easier like because you see you see more than the shell, you see what's inside. And when you see what's inside, it just gives you all of the answers. Like, what is this behavior telling me? Oh, right. Okay. Now I can see what this communication is because all behavior is communication. So it's really is, what are they telling me? They could be like bouncing off the walls. Oh, you need some heavy pressure before, heavy pressure work before bed. Or they could be screaming, crying, and you're like, oh, you realize they've had a really hard day from X, Y, Z. And just being able to decipher their code and be able to tap into the support that they need to be able to be at a point when their body is able to go in a calm state to sleep. And then everything follows from that, from once that, once that bit is done, so many things are easier because their executive functioning works better. They're able to concentrate. They're able to be like better emotionally regulated through the day. And then you get you, once you get off that downward spiral, 
you're back on this upward spiral and everything just keeps getting better. I love that. I love that. And I believe sleep is one of the huge pieces. How, um, what made you get into it? Who contacts you for what you provide and what are they sitting there feeling at home when they realize that they need to call you like it's time to call and work with you? What are they feeling like? What are they going through? Are they just not sleeping and they look for a sleep specialist? Can you tell us a little bit about that and how to get a hold of you? Yeah. So I have lots of different clients, different types of clients. So I try and catch people from the very beginning. So I do like um antenatal work in like this is what your newborn baby's sleep is gonna look like this is how you look after yourself at that extremely difficult period and then once like if you can catch them really early <laughs> this is great because then they learn about the behaviors communication how to best serve your your baby and it follows through all the way through their adolescence onwards with neurodivergent families sometimes it's my child doesn't sleep a lot of the time it's my pediatrician has prescribed melatonin they go to sleep but they wake up two three four hours later they're just like climbing up the walls and i can't deal with that at 1 a.m what do i do sometimes my child can't go to sleep unless they are physically touching me at all times and as soon as i move away they instantly wake up um a lot of the times it's uh it's a state of you just can't cope with things as they are. A lot of the parents that I work with have long-term illness because, of course, long-term chronic stress, long-term chronic sleep deprivation means an immense amount of inflammation within your body, and that will always lead to ill health and disease. It always does. I was recently reading something that was saying if you... Um, they, they took a study... And it was, this one was specifically on men, men that have between four and five hours sleep a night, their cognitive, like memory recall was that of men 10 years their senior. It ages you without sleep. And sleep and stress go so hand in hand because from the moment that you wake up, you start um, producing cortisol, like the stress levels. And that's completely normal in a normal kind of sleep-wake cycle. But it's when it's just like it keeps going up and up and up. And so that's, you know, ill health and inflammation. So I see a lot of people that are sick and they cannot cope with what is there in front of them. And they're like, I just need some help. And I have no idea how to get this kid to sleep. They usually come to me going, how do I get my child to sleep? I just need them to sleep. I they're numbing out like they're the parents are quite often you know that like polyvagal theory chart when you've got the like stress on the upward incline and you've got the big thick blue bit at the top of the the top of the graph which is numbing out you're looking at your child having major major meltdowns they're in a very like traumatic kind of I mean, everything, just life is just so hard for them, right? And the parent is just, I just can't cope with this. Just get them to sleep because that's that's the point where they're at. To go back to how people get in touch with me. So if, if you want to like get to know me a bit more, which a lot of people do, because this is a very like vulnerable place where, where people are opening up to. Um, I have an Instagram account. I tend to share a lot of things on there. And that is, I actually have two. One is for kind of neurotypical, or at least people who think that they're neurotypical. And that's the motherload sleep dot specialist on Instagram. My one, which is specifically for neurodivergent families, is the motherload PDA dot sleep. Um, but my website is motherload sleep specialist dot com. And so you can just get in touch with me all those. And I always offer a free 15 minute, but it's usually for neurodivergent folks. It's a lot longer than that because they, you know, there's, there's a lot that need to be kind of unraveled. We always have that free period where we just hook up on a zoom call. They tell me like a brief overview of the issue. I tell them a brief overview of what, how I would help them support with this because I don't want anybody to have unrealistic expectations. I'm, I can't like prescribe a magic pill. that's going to sleep any, you know, make anybody just like to sleep. And then they go away and they, they figure out, you know, is this what I want to do? Do I have the capacity to do this work right now? 
And also, I also want to ma- um, mention if you're in BC in Canada and you have um, autism funding, over six uh, autism funding, you can claim my services through there too. So you can get um, my services paid through for your child's autism funding. That's awesome. Um, if you haven't done so after we're done with the show, can you send me those different links so we can put it in the show notes? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, just I could talk to you all day because you're into the kind of stuff I'm into. Um, I like your specialties, you know, very interesting to me. Um, I'd love to interview you one day, too, because I love what you're doing. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make myself available. But just so we Thank can you. get to get to know more of your thoughts, opinions and your journey. We do like a lightning round where you give kind of one word to one sentence answers to questions. Are you okay. up for it? Yeah. Looking forward. All right. And I'm going to add this one, which is not normally part of it, but I'm just curious if something comes to mind for you. Is there something that you believe to be true that most parents disagree with? Uh, Yeah, probably. (laughs) I tend to be like, "Mm." (laughs) Um, yeah, it's it's basically going down to this behaviors communication. And when your kid is acting out, don't just slap it down. Figure out what's going on there. Okay, I like it. What's the best advice you have received? The best advice I ever received was when your kids are a bit kind of wild, feed them, get them outside or put them in water. And like, you know, usually one of those three things really helps, even if it's just a little bit, just like, yeah, that's it. Feed them, get them outside, put them in water. I love I mean, that. Different piece of advice I've I've been around, so I've had lots of it. Yeah, I love that. And what's funny is when you said "hang on," I thought that that was the advice you were giving. Is the oh no, hang on. <laughs> that would have also been a good one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's funny. Do you have a top resource or recommendation to share with other parents? I do. I do. Her name is Larissa. She is her business is called Steady Parents. She is an occupational therapist. But get this, for overstimulated parents. Oh, Oh my word. When I found her, yes, exactly right. She was like, oh, you know what? If your kid, like, making noises all the time is finding, you were finding it's triggering, here's some things you can do about it. And then she gives some real, like, some amazing advice that doesn't cost any money, doesn't take any time. You can just do it in the moment. She's fantastic. I'm going to give you her details too, because I want to share her with everybody. Awesome. Thank you. What's the next thing on your list you want to add for your individual well-being? I'm moving my body more, actually. Yeah. Just personal well-being, just moving my body more. Um, Just... You know, I say about all parents that I deal with have some kind of chronic illness. I do too. I have as part of that, um, I have chronic fatigue and a lot of stiffness and just going on like, um, and so um, I really struggle to look after myself um, and I'm in a lot of like body pain a lot of the time. So just kind of moving more. It makes me happier knowing that I can run after my kids. That's great. What's one thing you think would improve your life if you did it or had it? Hot tub. Nice. <laughs> first, first, uh, first answer, first hot tub answer I've ever received. That's great. There you go. Now the gates have opened. You'll have them all saying it now. Yes. And like I said, I could talk to you all day and I'd love for us to connect down the road just to kind of keep updated and connected to one another's journey but kind of in closing from what we've talked about or just like what's on your heart, what do you say to the parent that's out there listening in Naked Parent Nation and they're just not sure if they're going to be able to make it? What do you- I just want to say that you matter. I This is the thing that I say to all parents, whether it's a mom of a newborn or, you know, the parents of a teenager that's going through hell. You matter. Your experiences matter. Your happiness matters. Your memories matter. Don't sacrifice your entire being to trying to deal with this very, very difficult situation. Get some help. It doesn't matter what it is. Even if your kid is, like, plastered to a screen 24-7 for a week, if you need that break, you have to do it. Like, 
just do whatever you can because you matter. You really do. That's beautiful. And I also want to thank you for inspiring me. And I know you inspired a lot of the listeners you shared with us today. Um, some of your struggles with depression, you've shared traumas that you've overcome. You share, you know, I would have to imagine that there's PTSD that you're working through with relation to some of it and showing up with this positive vibe about you lets me and other people know that you know, we can move through these difficult things and experience a great life and be a great parent. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for being on the show today. I'll look for your email with the contact info so we can keep in touch. And I wish you and your family all the best. Thank you. And thank you so much to you, Chad, because honestly, this podcast, I hadn't heard of it before. I'm going to be sharing it with everybody. I just absolutely love what you are doing because it really does. It matters. You are doing so much for so many people. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on here. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon, hopefully. Okay. Take care, Chad. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. This concludes our show for today, and I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.